Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. Matt, we told everyone this morning on the Plant-Based Morning Show that we'd get started right at 3 o'clock because you can now join these episodes live. And it's 3 7 We're running a little late, and I'm going to take the blame for that. Yeah, did we say we'd be right on time? I don't, I don't remember that. We make a lot of empty promises. We don't. <laughs> we just <laughs> say things that sound like they're like good radio things to say. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like right three o'clock on the nose or something like that. It doesn't, with no intention of actually. <laughs> on the doing nose it. is exactly. that is that what good radio people say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> hey everybody. <laughs> well, I was, I was, uh, I was heads down, head, head down on uh, some content all afternoon and uh, needed a five minute outside break before doing another one of these episodes so i went outside started gardening and then before i knew it it was 10 minutes and um and i was late i was doing some weeding and and i gotta say getting your hands dirty is like the perfect way for me to like have a little have a little breather you know get a little nature time (laughs) yeah i don't think i would ever do that in in 10 minute period i would think that's more like an hour long uh job like if i'm gonna get my hands dirty and wash them and all that that just seems like uh, just, that's just this whole activity that's not a it's not a little break that's not the same uh-huh. as me picking up the phone and flipping through that uh but i do like the gardening as a longevity activity that's mm-hmm. that's featured prominently in the blue zones uh series of books by dan butner which i love and uh what i love about those books is how uh, how like accessible and approachable that approach to longevity is uh yep. you know work fitness into your life and make it gardening and walking to visit neighbors or neighboring towns on hilly terrain. And like, you don't have to go to the gym, lift weights, do anything that's not pleasurable. Basically, you do hobbies outside and, and mm-hmm. you get to live mm-hmm. a long time. So that's exciting. It, it may be overly, uh, it may be, uh, I don't know, painting too pretty of a picture. When you look at the research, we talked last time about Peter Atia's approach. Sure. Um, that, that it was much more intense than that too intense. I think for, for even the above average person, as far as above average, fitness interest right. uh so we talked a lot about that and uh today we're gonna have something that's that's i think a little bit between it's between the blue zones you know very very laid back probably maybe too laid back uh and and this relatively intense thing from peter atia so i'm excited to get into that today um do you, well, before we like, before we do that though do you think that the the blue zones uh, uh the interpretation of like people gardening and that kind of lifestyle fitness or whatever is really uh underselling what the people in those blue zones are actually doing, you know, if you're outside working a field every day, you know, or like getting a lot of your food from, from a garden, a personal garden that you're spending hours, uh, you know, investing in every day, like that's a little bit different than my, my small garden that's just kind of supplementing some of my, uh, some of my food for, for the summer. And, and, you know, I spend a couple hours, maybe, maybe between me and my wife, we spend four hours a week during the heat of the summer, uh, doing some, you know, some work, but probably not even that much. You know I mean, like, I feel like that, uh, like the, the picture of gardening or in like lifestyle, like movement um, as being all you need for fitness is kind of underselling what is what people are probably actually doing in these blue zones. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think that's probably right. And I, I don't think necessarily that, that was the intention of Dan Butner or the team to to undersell it like that. I mean, maybe it was maybe it was a marketing thing. I don't think they misunderstood it. I think I think the data is good. I think the way they do those studies is is very mm-hmm. good. I mean, it's one specific type of study, but it's one of the better kinds we can do when it comes to longevity because you can't really do uh, century-long 
clinical trials and, and record right. everything people eat. At least you haven't been able to. Maybe, maybe now that'll start happening with, with advanced technology. But anyway, um, I, I think that's probably right. I think, I think maybe it's just the volume of it is, is lost in translation. Like when we think gardening, we think what you said, an hour a week maybe of mm -hmm. this thing. Maybe they're getting all their food from there. And when we think walking, you know, I, I don't know. I've tried to start walking a little bit more recently, but it's like half an hour a day and the rest of them sitting down on the, uh, on a chair. Like right, maybe they're right, just walking right. everywhere all day long. Mm -hmm. They don't have a car. I mean, and, and this is not modern society. We're talking about societies. I think that these people, you know, lived large parts of their lives in the second half of the 20th century uh, and, and grew up in the first half. So different lifestyle, but you know, in Europe too, not that this is all Europe, but different places besides the United States, uh, much more walking. So I just think maybe the volume is, is much more than we realize. Uh, yeah. And yeah. as we'll see today, the, the volume that, that Walter Longo recommends, who's, whose approach we're going to look at, uh, it's not a tiny amount. It, 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 he still has you doing a decent amount of, of fast walking. Sounds better than doing VO2 max workouts in some way, um, mm -hmm. but it's still a lot. So uh, yeah, I think that's a, a very good point that, that maybe it's undersold a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you, uh, if you listen to last week's, or I guess it was two weeks ago's episode on Peter Atia's approach towards uh, longevity and fitness, I guess, um, it was rather intense. And I think we're going to kind of recap it here, but it, it both, it triggered, at least for me, a few workouts that I wouldn't have done otherwise. Did, did, did that discussion or has that research done anything for you? Yeah. Uh, and we've talked about this a little bit on the morning show, just that we were kind of planning to do these things. I've, I think I've done that. That was probably two weeks ago. And I've done, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, four or five, six runs, all zone two, kind of easy runs. And I've done more yeah. walking, like I said. But the, the walking came from having read Longo's advice to do that. Uh, so yeah, I, I've done more. I've, I've gotten a little bit out of this. It's very easy to just like lie to yourself when you get into something and say, this is all you need to do. Uh, yeah, and sure. so with weight training, I was like, well, this is way harder than any of the running I've been doing. So I'm just going to keep doing this and it'll be fine. But it, it's, you know, it doesn't have that balance. And uh, I've enjoyed it. The, I don't know. It's hard. The running is not easy just to get back into it. I, it wasn't that long ago. It was last year. I did a marathon and an ultra within mm -hmm. like within three months. And uh, I feel like, I don't know. It's just, it's just hard to run. Just hard. It's just not that easy to get started again, especially in the hot weather. What is it? The motivation? What do you mean? It's hard to run. Like you just feel fit, unfit or uh, does your body? No, hurt? you know what it is? It's my, it's my legs and calves get really tired. And it's, yeah. it's cause I'm still trying to run in this new form. And oh, yeah. I'm just running in like really minimal shoes that are my normal, normal shoes. They're not running shoes. So I, I don't know. And like, I woke up one night with the, with the, why calf. are you doing that? Is that intentional or is that because you don't have a pair of running shoes? It's kind of both. I have a pair of, uh, of ultras that I just don't like wearing them. I, I just, I, I kind of, I just like the, the thin, the amount of running I'm doing. I feel like I don't need any kind of built up cushion sole, you know, like yeah. if, if I'm trying to be natural here and just get a good workout, I just, I don't know. I think it's good. Uh, it's just taking a little while to, to get it, but it's fine. I'm doing 20, 30 minutes here and there. So it's, it's been good. Okay. Successful. And you've done some, uh, some VO2 max, right? Yeah, I've done some, uh, well, I would say one true VO2 max workout where I was, I was following, uh, Tia's approach of, uh, it was like four minutes on hard, four minutes rest, mm -hmm. um, times four, each of those four times, um, and did, uh, did found a long hill that is, uh, you know, pretty fairly steep, not crazy steep, even runnable for sure. But, you know, a long hill, I just ran up for four minutes, didn't reach the top, but turned around, came back. And I, what I, what I tried to do was instead of doing the four minutes exactly, I timed how far I could, or I, I, I marked how far I got on the way up the first time. 
in case I happened to slow down a little bit, I wanted to make sure that I went the full distance that I went the very first interval. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so then turned around and kept, kept doing that. Um, uh, but yeah. it was good. It was hard. It was like one of, it was definitely the hardest run I have done in maybe two years, maybe mm -hmm. longer. I don't know. And is that uh, why you only did it once? Cause that, <laughs> yeah. was the, that was like the day after the recording. You did I know. I was all fired up. I was actually, I even <laughs> like, I, I even, I even told Katie, I was like, I kind of want to try this for 30 days, you know, see what, if I could do, because you and I joked about that on the podcast. And uh, I was like, yeah, maybe I should just like do it. It'd be like good content. It would kind of push myself. It'd be motivating. Um, yep. then, then I ran one VOT max workout and I was like, screw that. So, <laughs> no. so, you, so you're out now. You're well, out. I, I might still be in. Uh, okay. <laughs> I might still be in. After this, I have a six hour uh, ultra in a couple weeks. So after that, it might be a good uh, opportunity for me to try something difficult like this. But I mean, the problem is the time commitment. Like it's going to be a huge commitment on the family and myself and work and everything. So um, what is, oh, to do 30 days in a row of that? 30 days to do a Tia's work uh, approach. Oh, the actual approach. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So I thought you were talking about just VO2 max workouts. But, oh, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're right. It is. And we'll, we will recap in a minute what, what exactly he said, just so that we have the context there to compare. Uh, we ended up saying it wasn't that long, right? We said, I think it was like 12 hours a week was our rough estimate. And mm -hmm. it, it, compared to like running where you're putting in three or four hours on a weekend, it's, it's really not that long. But uh, compared to a workout where you're just trying to do half an hour a day, you know, uh, getting mm -hmm. up to an hour and a half or two hours, that, that is a lot more time. So it, it's not unreasonable maybe for some people, but it is a lot. Um, anyway, before we jump in, though, I did want to just remind people, we do these shows on Instagram. or sorry. We usually do them on Instagram. We're doing this one just on YouTube today. Um, but Nomad Athlete is now on YouTube. Like that's a, That is a thing. We were a text-based blog forever. Uh, then we were a podcast for like 10 years. Um, and, and we were both of those things for a long time. But just recently, like I did a little bit of YouTube in the early days and they're still up on this same channel and they're kind of cringy. My kids like to watch them and, and laugh and make fun of me. Uh, but, you know, we're done, like all of our content now is on YouTube. So it's it's exciting. Um, it's cool. If, if you are interested in like seeing the revival of Nomad Athlete, YouTube is where it's happening. Uh, so get, uh, you know, check it out. It's youtube.com slash Nomad Athlete. We're trying to do these shows about once a week. If it's me and Doug, we'll record it live on YouTube. Other times it's going to be an interview and it's not always us involved. And those aren't going to always be live on YouTube. Uh, but anyway, we've got the uh, the morning show that does happen on a daily basis still on YouTube. It's a little bit different content than No Meat Athlete, but it is still um, vegan or plant-based you know, content. And it's health-focused. We talk about stuff that isn't healthy, but we do tend to always bring it back to health. So uh, please check those things out. Plant-Based Morning Show has got its own podcast. That's on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else. Uh, of course, there's No Meat Athlete Radio, which you're listening to now if you're listening to this on the podcast. Uh, but anyway, just just an update. We're still doing all those things. More content than we've done in years, really. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's and it's fun. So that's the context. That's what we are doing now. Um, Matt, you know what you know what old YouTube video I watched of yours the other day? No, which one? I can't believe you watched any of them. But which, the, the which mango, one? the mango one. Yeah, I, like... yeah, we watched it the other day too. <laughs> I mean, that, it, that's not good, but it's way better than what I made three years before that. <laughs> like those first ones there's like dark lighting room uh, -huh, uh, uh -huh. and it's just i mean i didn't know what i was doing i had no idea but i'm not not embarrassed because it was like no one else was doing that back then relatively yeah. speaking no one was putting their videos online uh yeah so whatever it, i'm i'm fine with that 
Well, I, I actually, I was, we had a mango and I remembered you had a video with like a trick on how to cut it. And so I actually looked it up. I looked up your video intentionally to watch it. Uh, Good. Great. Still providing value. Evergreen content. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, also we should acknowledge uh, for anyone who comes later or whatever, I think you might, well, I don't, I don't know how it works if, when you join us live, if it starts at the beginning or what, but uh, we, we false started this one. We hit the button. We weren't ready to go yet. So we had to stop it. And as soon as I saw that we had zero people in here after like three minutes, I realized exactly what happened. And Mr. Jeffrey has come in now and confirmed that he's one of our uh, plant-based morning show regulars. We They didn't get re-notified. You get the first notification when we false started and then no, no notification. So this will be an intimate show. So uh, lucky you if you're here <laughs> with us. Uh, but anyway, in general, you can show up to these things and ask us questions live. And it's, it's a good time. So uh, should we shift to the content, Doug? Are we good to do that? Let's do it. Let's, okay. let's roll in. All right. So what we wanted to do first, we've mentioned Peter Atia. He's got this book, Outlive. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's top of a bunch of Amazon category charts and things. So it's it's a big hit. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing. I, it's a good thing that people are are reading about this and thinking about this. It has definitely inspired change in me. We mentioned you know, the workout stuff we've done. I actually did a whole bunch of blood testing just yesterday and got a bunch of results already. Hmm. Um, but that was prompted by having read his book and like, what I would consider kind of a, an over-the-top, almost obsessive, uh, you know, approach to longevity. And it's like, it's too much people. I, I'm afraid of getting too much data and what it might set off in me and like the rabbit holes it might cause me to go down. So like, there's that concern, but I, I've enjoyed it. It's been, it's been a good thing. The only reason I said, I don't know if it's a good thing that this book has done what it has is the, this, the protein emphasis he says three times the government recommendations because those are a joke. So it ends up being about a pound or a gram per pound of body weight per day. Um, and then the amount, of, the, the amount of focus on having muscle mass. And since the book has come out and since people started talking about it, I've seen these response things like from Dr. Khan coming out talking about how, uh, how important a low protein diet is for longevity. They're like you do not want to go over a third of a gram per pound per day. Uh, and if you do, you start getting into increased risks for, especially for cancer, uh, but also heart disease and some other things. And, you know, there's, there's good research showing this and Atia didn't really cite much research in, in his when it comes to this one topic. So I'm just worried about people running with it and, and like making it the anti-plant-based uh, argument mm. and saying, no, you shouldn't be thin and a runner, you should be muscle bound and eating all this protein. Uh, and then just yesterday I saw Dr. Khan shared something talking about the, they mentioned some of the blue zones people, but I think in general it was a, a broader study than just that. And they were saying fitness, very important as you age, but it's specifically cardiovascular fitness. And you want to have some muscle and you want to be doing some strength training, but you don't want to exceed, I think it was something like 100, uh, 180 minutes or 160 minutes in the gym in a week, uh, which I think it was less than, I think it was 150. So it's like, it, it's less than I'm doing with a, a fairly casual lifting plan. Uh, it was like, you shouldn't exceed this because that amount of muscle is not actually associated with longer life. It's associated with, with either a shorter life or at least a worth, worse health span. Um, so it's like, I, I don't know. I, I'm just worried that so many people will, will start to think that it's about muscle and protein and it's not about what might actually be a better approach to longevity. And I don't know which is better, but uh, that's what we're kind of exploring here. Yeah, I mean... I came out of the last episode thinking it was all about muscle and protein. Right. So. It's easy to do that, for sure. So yeah. I'm not saying he's wrong. It's it's good that, that that side, I guess, exists, that there's a debate now and there's a conversation happening. So 
Uh, we will see where that all goes. But let's let's recap quickly what his fitness advice specifically is, um, just so that we can then compare. So he says, um, zone two training. That's that's the easy type of running, conversational pace. It's not too hard, but it's it's not it's not walking. It's it's a little bit of work. Um, three hours per week is your minimum. VO2 max training, which is the workout that you described where you're getting your heart rate up. It's hard for four minutes, then easy for four minutes, then hard for four minutes and so on. Four to six times. Do that once or twice per week. Uh, do strength training for muscle mass, bone mineral density. He's talking about load bearing activity, carrying, rucking, grip strength, uh, concentric, eccentric movements, pulling, hip hinging. I mean, this is some of this is serious lifting. Uh, and then stability, which I think of more of as like a mobility, uh, focusing on breathing, Mobility, as I said, your form with workouts, foam rolling type work, you know, all that stuff. One hour, twice a week, 10 to 15 minutes other days. Uh, so as we said, serious time commitment here. And and even for someone who's kind of into fitness, that sounds like a, a whole lot to to bite off if you're like suddenly inspired to live a long time. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine doing that for the next, I don't know, for one of 40 or 60 more years. Right. That's a lot of hours uh, of those 60 years spent doing stuff <laughs> that, I don't know, isn't the most fulfilling of, of activity that I could do for sure. Right. I mean, we, we, we were hypothesizing because there wasn't a, a true plan in there, right? I mean, uh, we were kind of hypothesizing. We were guessing yeah. that it would take around 12 to 13 hours a week. You would need to be doing something every day, um, uh, one of those workouts every day. And there's no, uh, like you said, there's no kind of end goal, right? You're not trying to hit a certain amount of muscle mass or body fat or, or whatever. You're just, you're doing this uh, for as long die. as The angles as long don't as die. Do yeah. Just keep going. Just keep going. Avoid, avoid death. Avoid the Grim Reaper. So, uh, you know, and, yeah, it's, it's it's hard. But, I mean, obviously you can have goals in there and you can that, that would be sure. an important part of making that sort of thing last. Uh, but anyway, that, that's what that one is. So here's – Longo has a book called uh, The Longevity Diet. I've, I've read it I read it back in, like, 2020 probably. Um, a lot of it focuses on this prolon fasting-mimicking diet that he's definitely more famous for than his longevity diet. Uh but a lot of it is about the diet specifically. And he gives a, a one brief chapter about fitness. And I wanted to share what he talks about with fitness specifically, because I think it's a nice uh, counterpoint to that. It still hits a lot of these points, but it does so uh, just in a way that I think is a little more approachable. So here's what he says. It's not that organized quite even as a Tia's is. Um, so I'm sort of piecing stuff together. But he says basically this, walk fast for an hour every single day. And so to me, I don't walk fast when I walk. And if I do walk fast, it basically feels like zone two workout, right? Where it's like, mm -hmm. it's not that comfortable for me to keep it up. Um, I kind of want to stop because I'm a combination of bored and also a little bit uncomfortable. Um, so it's an hour of that a day, uh, walking fast. That's not a little bit. Um, ride, run, or swim for 30 to 40 minutes every other day, which I assume means skip a day in between each one, plus two hours on the weekend. So this is kind of like, I don't know, kind of like running workouts would be a little bit. Um, so that would be what, like four times a week if you did Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday? That Yeah, it sounds about like that to me. So okay. it sounds like someone training for a, a marathon or a half marathon would mm -hmm. would maybe do a, about this much uh, of that ride, run, or swim work if you're training mm -hmm. for an equivalent mm -hmm. race. Um, he talks about it, it sounds a little more like a tempo run pace, some of that. Like it's, it's definitely getting into those. I'm sure you're doing some VO2 max workouts. Um, he, he mentions, uh, let's see, I'm trying to find it, but it's he, basically, he says you want to do some vigorous activity during that time. So that, that's your sort of moderate exercise part. Um, and, and the way he later summarizes that is do two and a half to five hours 
of moderate exercise per week with some of it vigorous. Uh, so I don't know exactly what that means, where that fits in, how much of that, how much of that, you know, fast walking is considered moderate exercise. I think none. Um, but he makes this important point, which Atia, this is what I was looking for from Atia, but never found. He says, most of the benefit appears after the first two and a half hours, making the rest optional. So he gives you that range and like, it's totally okay to just do the 2.5. Uh, he mentions later some specifics on that. And he says the difference between people who on like a self-reported thing reported doing greater than 150 minutes per week, which is uh, what two and a half hours versus those who reported 300 minutes, which is five hours uh, of moderate to vigorous was um, the difference between a 47% and a 54% uh, reduction in mortality, right? So one, the group that did reported, I exercise more than 150 minutes a week. They had a 47% reduction in mortality compared to people who didn't exercise. The people who did 300 minutes had a 54% reduction in mortality. So there's a benefit there, but it's like, I don't know, it's like a less than 20% of the amount you were getting when you, you know, did half as much work. So it, it sounds like as far as the trade-off goes, the, the better value is just doing the two and a half hours and not worrying about the other, other two and a half. Well, and that's just up to five hours, not 12 or 13 hours like a Tia. Right? Yeah. And, but see, that's, it's unfortunately, it's not totally clear what he's talking about here. Cause I think the, like the walk every day part is the walk for an hour every count. day. I think that's not included there. This is uh, like your, your combination of zone two and, and uh, your, your VO2 max workouts. So, like, that's, that's, it. and then in addition to that, he's got do your weight training, uh, some, some free weight exercises, uh, or sorry, some, some weight free exercises, like just body weight training. Um, so like you're still got to do some other stuff in addition to this two and a half to five hours. So I think, I think really like if you look at it all together, I think if a T is saying do 12 hours, I think Longo is probably basically saying do, do between nine and 12 hours, but like, it's okay if you just want to do the nine and, and a large part of it, five or six of those hours are just walking. Mm -hmm. But so, brisk walking. Right. Right. It's not, it's not nothing for sure. Um, but I, I just feel like it, it feels way less like a strict workout program than Atia's thing felt like. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Although, I mean, it still feels like a lot. Like, I like I certainly don't walk for an hour briskly yeah. every day in addition to a run, right? I mean, right. definitely not. Right. And, and this is, I think, exactly what you were kind of hinting at with the Blue Zones question you asked at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I think the walk fast for an hour every day is what they do without really intentionally doing that. It just It just happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, if it's not fast, it's on Hills and it's over terrain. It's going to have the same effect. Um, the two and a half hours, moderate exercise per week. That's the farming, gardening type of stuff, probably that they are doing some, yeah. some vigorous, some hard work in there. They're not trying to go to the gym and exercise or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, weight training, is probably just sort of built into that weight free exercises. That's all probably built into that lifestyle. So it somehow the way he says it, it, it just sounds much less like a big deliberate effort to, to do all this exercise for the rest of your life uh, and more like incorporating it into your life. And he does give examples of like take stairs instead of ex escalators whenever possible, no matter how high the climb is uh, on the weekend, walk everywhere that you have to go. And this would apply mm -hmm. in a lot of other countries different than it does in the U S unless you live in a city. Uh, it, it's just not that easy to walk everywhere you go on a weekend. Uh, but yeah, it just, it's just, it's just a different approach to it. It just feels more like working this into your life. Uh, but maybe the net net, you know, amount you're supposed to do is not all that different except for this little bit of like uh you know acknowledging that 
a lot of that benefit appears after half of the amount, at least of the vigorous or moderate exercise. And then the rest is, it, there are definitely diminishing returns. Yeah. So if you're, if you're someone who wants to squeeze every last year and health bit you can out of your life, then yeah, do the maximum. But if you're someone who that takes away from the enjoyment too much, then very much reasonable choice to, to not do, you know, just not go crazy with it. I wonder, I wonder what the difference is between like nothing and an hour, you know, uh, any, any stats on that? Like does I, any I movement that. drop or, or do you have to hit like a certain threshold before? It really... that, that's a good question, right? Like does, if, if, if there's certainly diminishing returns, are there diminishing returns at every point along that spectrum? Mm -hmm. So that the first minute you do is the most valuable minute of exercise you have. Uh, right. I don't know. I, I would, I would imagine that, that doing an hour instead of two and a half hours gets you, I don't know, more than half of that initial amount. I don't really know, but, uh, yeah, that's a good question. And, and we could look there, there's research and it's cited. So check out the book if you want longevity diet, uh, by Walter Longo. So anyway, that's, um, uh, yeah, go ahead. I get a funny little, uh, side note here. Uh, okay. Side story. Um, Eliza, my six-year-old, has uh, who who if, if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, you've uh, experienced the whole like uh, raising of her, and I've talked mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about her, of course. Um, but uh, she's on a on a um, environmental kick right now, which is which is great. I think that she's learning about some stuff in school, and then probably heard us talk about some stuff. So she doesn't want to drive anywhere. So she's decided that anytime we go anywhere in town, we need to go uh, either on bike or walking, and hmm. uh, it has significantly <laughs> increased the amount of walking that i've done like this weekend <laughs> especially and uh this weekend we were walking everywhere and the problem is that like you know i was have a two-year-old and uh and so walking somewhere or riding a bike means i'm like pulling her along or pushing her in a stroller or whatever and and, and eliza the six-year-old inevitably gets tired eventually going up big hills in western north carolina so it's like uh it's just it's it's put a lot more effort on my end but it's been good i don't know it's been maybe that maybe this yeah. that's the ticket for me to walk for an hour maybe the problem is the pace. Well, if, I guess if she's on a bike, when when we used to try that walking with the kids, I would go uh -huh. crazy at how slow they would be <laughs> to get right, anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So I, I, who, you probably don't get quite the same benefit if you if you're moving at one mile an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's something. It's good. Uh -huh. uh, so I don't know. I've been trying to work it into soccer practices. Like even if I've already done a weight workout, typically not going to do a run that same day. But I'm I'm just saying like you know, there's no reason I can't just walk around in a circle around the field this whole time. Yeah, uh, and just try to get more. In. I, I don't think that's a sustainable thing to me. That's not built into my life. That that's an effort. Um, mm -hmm. But I, you know, I'm trying trying to explore the ways to do it. So is that how you're? You, you said you're walking half an hour every day. Just about. is that how you're doing? No, it? You not every day. I I'm mostly running. Uh, mm. when, when I do anything other than weight training, it's just so it's like twice a week I've been going for a run. Um, but then a couple times now I've done intentional walking. Just when I've already weight trained, don't feel like running today, and it's what I do, but it's not been that much. Yeah. So that's that. Um, we had said before we were going to get into Prolon, which is the his fasting mimicking diet. Um, we'll talk a little bit about, about the details about that. I wanted to quickly highlight, and I'll be really quick with this. I'm not going to spend a long, long time because you could go pretty long here. Um, I wanted to mention his the diet he recommends just okay. because I, I do really like his stuff. I like his approach to this. He's, he's very less obsessive than Atia about the research it seems and less uh trying to absolutely squeeze every last minute out of your life that you can much more focused on uh you know that kind of blue zones style approach and uh and his his recommendations reflect that so what he says to do as far as the diet and it's it's really not that strict in any way um 
which is sometimes a problem, sometimes good. It's like these Mediterranean diets um, where it's like eat, eat this way, but it's not that clear of how exactly you're supposed to eat. Uh, and his diet is, is Mediterranean-ish, but here's, here we go. He says, follow a pescatarian diet. And for him, that's vegan plus two to three portions of fish per week. Uh, after you, after you get 60, age 65, your protein needs increase. Um, so then you're going to eat, you can have, you know, an extra serving of the fish or eggs and certain cheeses and things like that. Uh, consume low, but sufficient protein. So this is 0.31 to 0.36 grams per pound per day. So right around that one third, um, gram per pound per day, which is, I think these days becoming sort of the, the standard recommendation, uh, the standard low protein recommendation. And that's what seems to be associated with, uh, reduced uh, incidence of a lot of these these chronic diseases. Uh, he does say get 30 grams of that protein in one sitting. I, I don't know about the rationale behind this, but I think um, my, my sense is that it has to do with like the way we evolved to get protein was after was it was in lumps. It was in large amounts. It wasn't it wasn't that you get like five grams here and 10 grams here. And it's like that it's you know one big meal a day you're eating protein. And that typically would have been animal protein perhaps in the past. Uh, we don't have to do it that way. And in fact, it's better to get most of your protein from plant protein, he says. But I just think it's interesting. I haven't heard that before, that idea that like you should get this much in one big sitting uh, rather than just like spreading it out all throughout the day. So there's that. Uh, he says, minimize bad fats and sugars, that's saturated fats, uh, and just you know added sugars and things like that. Uh, he tells you not to eat too much fruit. Fruit is good. He's not against fruit at all. He minimized the fruit and fruit juice though. Uh, or sorry, minimize fruit juice. Just get fruits that are like relatively low on the GI scale. He says, don't get the ones that are very easily converted into sugars. Uh, I did check this out and apples, oranges, bananas, which are my common fruits, they're all on the low GI list. So that's all good. Uh, what would he be says, on the high GI table. list? Berries. Uh, watermelon was up there really watermelon. high. Didn't have a high load though because there's a lot of water. Um, yeah, I think dates are in the medium list. Some of those mm -hmm. other melons are in the in the medium. I think pineapple's up there. Uh I don't know. They're, they're not uh, the, the typical fruits that you, you find all the time here, but uh, certainly you, you could get those if you wanted. Um, so this is interesting. Three tablespoons of olive oil and one ounce of nuts per day. In the plant-based worlds, these are, uh, you know, it, it's typically thought of it like olive oil is not a health food. Yeah. Uh, it's not a whole food. So to see that you are striving to get three tablespoons per day, which is not that easy. I tried it yesterday and I had to add like two whole tablespoons to my dinner on my plate because put like a quarter cup in the whole dinner that got split four ways so that meant for me i needed to have uh two more tablespoons and that, it was a lot it seemed like i was being indulgent um and one ounce of nuts per day so a decent amount of fat here especially if you're eating fish which obviously we're not but that you, you, you know he's doing that partly for the protein but partly for the fats and the omega-3s so not a low fat diet really and that's kind of a uh, distinction between this and like whole food plant-based um, he mentions, mentioned taking supplements. He thinks, you know, there's some evidence of, of poor health coming from multivitamins. So he says, don't do it every day, but just sometimes same with fish oil, algae oil will work just as well. And I've upped my algae oil intake as a result. That's our compliment, uh, Omega complex product, which I actually really like, uh, mm -hmm. because it doesn't taste like fish or anything like that. Like a lot of algae things do. Uh, I like this one. He says, eat a variety of foods from your ancestry. And so what he means here is you're not trying to eat like your grandparents or great-grandparents because they were already eating uh, somewhat the standard American diet way that was already happening after Industrial Revolution. Um, but you want to choose the foods that like would have been common that, that people could choose from that have your same ancestral heritage. So he says, the example, like if you're from Germany, you probably don't want to be eating a whole lot of turmeric in your diet. Turmeric is a health food, 
but it wouldn't have been available to to your German ancestors if you have a bunch of those, uh, you know, over the past few hundred years. And quinoa, another one he mentions, like that's that's kind of a very niche, small area of the world that, that comes from. And he suggests that you not uh, eat those things if if you didn't, your ancestors didn't eat those things. Is that just because you wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have developed into being able to digest that? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, and, and so you may have experienced some extra inflammation or who knows what else could go wrong. I actually don't know what else might go wrong. Uh, there wasn't a lot of research that I saw. He didn't cite research for this point, so I, I wonder yeah, how much there is and how much it's just theory, but I, I do like it. It's a nice sort of story. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. Almost done. Eat twice a day plus a snack. Now, I said he's into fasting. He likes this fasting mimicking idea. Uh, unless you're in the normal or low range for weight circumference, in which case, go ahead and have three meals a day. He's, he says time-restricted eating, 11 to 12-hour window, but it doesn't need to be like six or eight-hour window of your eating time. It's just have a reasonable time restriction on your eating. Um, and then practice periodic prolonged fasting. And that's what this fasting mimicking diet is designed to sort of uh, swoop in and make it easier. So you don't need to do prolonged fasting. You can do Prolon Fasting, which is his product uh, that apparently all the proceeds go to his foundation and they don't go to him. And he makes... Lots of points saying that it's really not a profit motivated motivated thing. I haven't mm. dug into that. I don't know if it's true or not. <laughs> um, but his thing is this fasting mimicking diet is designed to let you have some food, but carefully chosen nutrients and amounts of calories and all this other stuff that apparently will have your body basically believing that it is fasting, complete fasting, um, at least as much as is possible while still eating and get some of the positive benefits right get after two three days you start getting into the ketosis and the autophagy and these things that are thought to be positive benefits of fasting uh so that that's what it is um as i mentioned i did it like three four weeks ago it was probably my third time doing the prolon fast um i always feel obligated to point out it does have honey in it still unfortunately i heard a rumor that they are coming out with a non-honey version they give you these like snack bars one per day it's like hazelnuts or some other kind of fatty nuts I think some coconut oil in there. It's a lot of fat um, and and honey, which is the sweetener. So I, I wish it weren't that. I would love for it to be a fully vegan product. Uh, but right now, not available. So I, I made the decision that I was okay with doing it. Uh, but anyway, before you go order a prolon kit, if you're someone for whom honey's a problem, you need to you need to consider that. Yep. So anyway, uh, that is that's that. That's what the thing is. I don't know, Doug. We were going to talk a little bit about the fasting uh, mimicking diet. Do you? I mean. I, I'm not up on the research, but according to him, you know, they've done lots of research, some of it on mice and things like that. And he, he like apologizes profusely for the mice research in his book, uh, which I kind of appreciate that, the, that he Acknowledging thinks that. about it. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, but, but nonetheless does it. Um, and he gives lots of reasons for why, like it's sort of what is needed to, to advance human health. Um, I honestly have not thought about whether I agree with that or not. Um, but it is what it is. So uh, he, he's done a bunch of this testing fasting and and some on humans smaller things certain results he's not comfortable saying yet that like this would do x and y z for humans but some really interesting stuff about what happens when you like combine fasting with chemotherapy versus chemotherapy alone for cancer treatment uh the way that it's sort of, i think they call it a uh, some kind of sh uh, i forget what the word is magic shield or something instead of magic bullet and basically makes it so that your your cells become uh, protected or way more visible compared to the cancer cells in response to this fasting that then makes the chemotherapy work really well. Again, he's not comfortable with some of these things recommending you go do it. It's it's just like his his hypotheses or preliminary results are suggesting that. So he definitely recommends 
you know, not just go against what your doctor says, of course. Uh, but other things for like diabetes, heart health, some of those are, are more clearly um, shown to benefit from periodic fasting mimicking diet, same with Alzheimer's. So there's really interesting stuff coming. Like I said, kind of preliminary, still a lot of it, but I think it's a really cool thing. And uh, the logic for it makes sense to me that, that we as a species evolved to have periods, you know, winters basically where there's not a lot of food and you're going several days with minimal calories and your body uses that time to, to do processes that are really important for, for slowing down aging and fighting off disease and all kinds of other things. So that's, that's the, you know, very high level, not doing justice to the science behind this prolon fast. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what it is. Here's, here's something I've kind of struggled with as, as you've been talking about we the prolon, your prolon fast for the last couple of weeks um, is like, similar to, you know, to what we're talking about with the fitness and kind of having to do it for the rest of your life. Like, like is one of these fasts going to make any difference to your longevity or do you need to be doing them two or three times a year, um, two to six times per year, uh, for the rest of your life? And if so, like, like, how do you, how do you plan that? And are you planning to do that? I mean, is that, or like, like I can, I can kind of wrap my, wrap my head around trying this, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. but like, do I, I mean, is that going to do anything for me or do, or do I need to be doing this for the next, you know, 50 years? <laughs> I suspect if you did it one time, you would, and, and blood tested around that, you would notice improvements in mm -hmm. a lot of numbers, like, you know, for the next two or three months after this fast. Uh, but no, that wouldn't be enough to just be done with it. Right. This is something <laughs> that was supposed to happen maybe every year to humans on a, if it, uh -huh. it was a winter, if we're thinking of winter as the fasting period. Yeah. Um, so he says something like two to six times per year, depends on your weight and your fitness. He doesn't recommend you do it over age 70 because then muscle mass and all that does become an issue. Uh, the claim is that, you know, you lose a lot of body fat and it's pretty good at preserving most muscle mass that you'll either lose none or a little bit of muscle mass. Uh, but if you're underweight or frail or, you know, in danger of breaking bones and things like it, you don't want to be restricting calories. If those calories are kind of what's, what's keeping you going or what you're most, uh, lacking, right. When it comes to muscle. So like, it's not the rest of your life. It's just up until that time. Um, and, and it just depends on different things, your goals, your risk factors. I think he says, if you have a certain amount of risk factors for say heart disease, you'd want to do this four times a year instead of just twice a year. Twice, I think was like the minimum basically for if you were pretty healthy, didn't have a lot of risk factors, you're at the weight you want to be uh, twice a year is about how long you should do it. And that's something that I can envision myself doing. I've only done it, I think I did it twice the first year and then once so far. Um, it's not an easy thing, but it's, it's gotten easier every single time. And this last time I really could easily imagine doing that twice a year. Uh, it just yeah. doesn't seem like much. And often it feels good. Like after a big holiday, like eating a whole lot for two months, uh, it feels really good to start a new year this way. And it's a lot psychological for sure, but it's nice to have that reset. Um, it's also good for weight management. Like Aaron is really, you know, she's done some different stuff like chef AJ's stuff with varying degrees of success, actually a lot of success with chef AJ's, but not that easy to sustain. Um, but she's liked it because it just, you know, you lose five, six pounds of fat when it happens, when, when you do this fast. So I think she did it like for three months in a row when she first got into it. And since then has done it much uh, more intermittently than that. I think once every quarter or so, four times a year, maybe, uh, maybe not quite even that much. But, you know, she, she likes it. What's nice is you actually do see a visible change in yourself. Uh, and, and then when you're not fasting, you can, you can do more feasting, right? So, which is like kind of a nice little balance there. Uh, so yeah, I think the answer is you can't just do it once and it, it should be something that is, that is done on an ongoing basis. 
if if you believe that it should be done at all. And I'm not I'm not really arguing that it should. I just something I've been experimenting with. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know. The for some reason, like intermittent fasting, having eating windows, you know, and just kind of having this like daily habit that you're you're following for the most part. I don't know, like that just is so much more attractive to me than than kind of starving yeah, because it's, it's easy, right? Because it's easy, and it's it's not. But but <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I, I don't really mm-hmm. know. It's just like winter wasn't easy, right? For people who didn't have enough food and mm-hmm. they were cold all that, right? Like it was awful. So like to have instead this period where you do get to eat and you do get to reliably have 1,200 calories the first day and 800 for the next four. Uh, it's nothing like probably what we are meant to go through. And I only mean meant in the sense of our bodies are built to do that and perhaps use that time to do important processes because it was dependable that we actually would have periods where there wouldn't be a lot. So it just depends how important that is or how much you believe that story. Uh, But yeah, just because it's not comfortable doesn't mean it's not natural, I guess is my point. Yeah. I I mean, I agree with that. Yeah. So of course one would gravitate towards the, the part, the option that isn't, uh, that is more comfortable, which is intermittent fasting, like 12 hour window or whatever, mm-hmm. compared to going a week with, with way, way tougher food or way less. Yeah. Food. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, it's certainly not for everyone. And it's, and I mean, I if, we're, even... if we're really trying to do it, right. If we're trying to do a, like have these winters, right. You're going to do a lot more than four days, six of days. Course. But, the, but the point of this program, I mean, but no one's going to do that. And people will do this. I think they have two hundred thousand people or something who are who do Prolon. So they found a market of people who will, this is this is the tolerable thing. And the technology is that this can mimic what happens over a longer or a zero food fast. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, you're right to to question it for for sure. It's not a it's not a proven thing. There's a lot of experts who would say don't do fast. I think Atia says fasting not a good idea. Right? I told you he was so into the muscle mass thing that any any period where you're gonna Really fast. I think he did some water fasting in his previous uh, life. Not previous life, but his, he used to advocate for water fast. He's and then he got so away long. He has previous life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but so he got away from that. I think because of the muscle mass things. It's just too uh-huh. many people. It's just too great of a loss of of muscle mass. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean, the answer, Doug, would be would be if you were truly genuinely curious, check your numbers after several months of your intermittent fasting then go do an, uh, an actual fasting mimicking for a week and see what happens to those numbers. Check again two months later, see if they're mm-hmm. still improved. And then, then you would know like there actually is something, and this is worth it or isn't worth it, uh, that additional difficulty. Yeah, yeah. Which is what I would encourage anyone to do. If you're under 70 and you're not underweight, uh, mm-hmm. obviously read the same warnings he gives or that, uh, that Longo gives. It's not for everyone. But uh, I don't know. I, I've enjoyed it. It's, it's been a really good thing. Good. Well, I'm glad you have. Yeah. So uh, there's some there's some good comments here. Some mixed uh, feelings about fasting. Some people talk about our relationship with food and uh, whether or not our ancestors ate tofu and uh, you know soybeans or other vegetables that they eat. Uh, yeah, we don't know. It's it's hard to uh, hard to know that. You'd have to do some individual research. I I've gotten into that a little bit more recently with the 23 and Me. Um, there are some interesting things I have learned. Some of them not that not that positive. Like I don't like knowing that I have this increased Alzheimer's risk, but it's making me be more proactive with stuff. Uh, Bailey Zane here points out that Andrew Huberman's podcast on fasting advises it as not ideal for women, not as ideal for women as it is for men. Um, 
hasn't finished the episode, so he doesn't know the reason for that. But that's interesting. I haven't heard that. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's that. All right. All right. Well, anything else? Doug? We we good. This is a this is a densely packed episode. We packed a lot into this. It one. was it was densely packed. I don't. I, I think. Uh, <laughs> And much more, much more formal than uh, most of our episodes had been. Yeah, uh, maybe true. Well, when we're not doing them every single week, yeah, it's easy to get it. If you want some non-formal stuff, informal stuff, go to Plant Pace Morning Show. That's a mm-hmm. uh, kind of a shit show. Excuse, excuse my language there, but that <laughs> it's becoming less of one. But there definitely uh, there is some some tomfoolery that goes on during yeah. that show, in a good way. Um, yeah, so we do that every day on the YouTube channel, nemiathlete.com or youtube.com slash nemiathlete. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a Discord, a good way to engage with the community, nemiathlete.com slash Discord to sign up for that. Uh, absolutely free, of course. And yeah. um, uh, and I guess we should, I guess we can go ahead and say, we can promote this a little bit. Next week, we're taking over the Nomad Athlete radio feed. All right. Um, with uh, with a series of of interviews with different health experts and doctors and registered dietitians and yourself, uh, all kinds of stuff for a big event we're hold, holding at uh, with compliment called Plantapalooza. 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 Sounds <laughs> like plant plant stock exists, Doug. You know that? Who was the ad wizard who came up with uh, Plantapalooza? Because plant think... stock is uh, Rip Esselstyn's thing, and that sounds like Woodstock. And this sounds like Lollapalooza. Yeah, I, mean, I think that was the idea. Yeah, <laughs> was the idea was someone does plant stock already, so we're gonna. Oh no! Oh, oh no! 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 It was, uh, okay. <laughs> it was like let's have a big festival. Let's make it a health festival, okay. like like a lot of Palooza, plant Palooza. You should have um, plant stock ninety nine, and then we could have fires and stuff like that. <laughs> Just burn everything down. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, it's gonna be fun. But uh, we're gonna be dropping episodes every day, Tuesday to Tuesday next week. So eight episodes in a row. Um, wow good uh yeah so the feed will be full uh which will be cool but not too much of us mostly uh mostly matt tolman and uh different different experts although you and you and him have a nice episode i just listened to it the other day oh did you? good yeah one of the interviews is me so you will hear me next week during those eight episodes mm-hmm. um but yeah good to be aware of what that is and why suddenly that will all be on this channel uh so yeah, look for that. Don't forget though, go to YouTube. If like I said before, Nomad Athlete is happening on YouTube now. That's what this is. That's what our morning show every day is. Go over there and don't just like show up like when I said 11 a.m. Go hit subscribe so that you actually get notifications. That's I think how and why people didn't come today because they didn't get notifications. I mean, they eventually did, but uh you have to go subscribe to that and hit the bell, sign up for notifications. You can like the different stuff. There's a ton of videos already up there from all the episodes of the past few months. Um, mm-hmm. plus some videos we've been making little bits of episodes. So there's a lot over there. Get over there. It's, it's, we're building it. We're growing it. Uh, it'll just get better. So please go over there and subscribe so that you are notified and, uh, join, join the fun. Cause it is fun. It is fun. Very fun. <laughs> good. All right. All right. Sounds good. Thanks Probably for coming good. everyone to the live. Thank you for those who listen to the podcast. Um, that's it. We'll be back soon. Absolutely. See you next time. All right. Bye.